Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. Fantastic. So I am loving this study into the Gospel of John. I'm really enjoying taking things chapter by chapter and sometimes verse by verse and really digging deep because it's so easy, or certainly I find, it's so easy to um, read the Scriptures and kind of not really take things in. But actually, when you start taking things verse by verse, you realise there's just so much more in there that if you don't spend time kind of studying with other people, you could just easily kind of gloss over and not even realise. So I'm really enjoying that. And as you uh, have probably guessed, I'm continuing that series today. Uh, So we're looking at John chapter 5. Don't worry, guys, there are 21 chapters in John. So (laughs) there there is lots more to come. Um, If you haven't got a notebook and you would like one, we've got some here at the front and some pens to make some notes. Um, If you've got Bibles, we'll get those open to John 5. Right, I'm going to pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Jesus, that we can study this and learn more about you through reading the life of Jesus. We thank you for his words that um, meant so much then, but also still mean so much now. I thank you for what we will learn today. God, I pray for every person here that you would reveal something to them within these scriptures, that they would leave here um, different as they came in, knowing more of you and your amazing, amazing character. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's get open to John 5. Yeah, come and grab a notebook if you need one. Don't be afraid. Uh, I won't hurt you. Okay. So John 5, the healing at the pool. Um, We are going to be taking this kind of verse by verse. So apologies, it's going to be a bit bitty, but there is just so much to unpack that we're going to be doing it that way. So Verse one, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. So Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. He's gone there for a feast. There are three feasts a year that the Jews would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate. These are Pentecost, Passover and Purim. So we don't know which one it is, but he's there for one of those feasts. And we know that that means Jerusalem must be busy because There's lots of people come in. So we're already getting a bit of a picture about what's going on here. People have traveled far and wide to be in Jerusalem to celebrate a feast. It's busy. There's lots going on. I imagine there's hustle and bustle. And then here we go into the next verse two. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Okay, so what's really exciting in this um, is we have a picture of this pool that has actually been excavated. So they have found this pool. And I love when you you, um, see the things in your Bible come to life. I think we have a picture on a slide. Um, Here we go. So this is what the pool looks like. It has been excavated. It has been found. They found the five colonnades, which um, is like five areas of shade around the pool. And I love that. I love seeing, I mean, you know, don't you? Okay, this is true. But when you see something like this, it turns it from a story to history. And that is amazing. So there it is. I thought you might want to see that. I'd love to visit one day, see all these sites in person. 
So we know around this pool, we can almost picture it now, can't we? I mean, it didn't look exactly like that. <laughs> I think it was a bit more finished at this time uh, that we are reading about. But we can almost imagine the scene now. Uh, there's lots of people, people who are ill, and they're all around this pool. And we think that from what it sounds like, they're under the colonnades, they're getting shade. So probably it's hot, it's busy, dusty, maybe a bit smelly. There's lots of people there. They're all crowded around because they want to be at this pool, okay? Why do they want to be at this pool? This is the question, isn't it? So um, if we carry on reading, now this is where it gets really interesting. Um, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, I thought I had found a fault in the Bible this week. I was like, there is a typo in the Bible. Okay, so I opened it up and I was reading this and I was thinking, this doesn't really make sense. Like, it's not really explaining to me why these people are at the pool. I don't really understand. And then I was going through verse by verse and I was like, wait a second, there's no verse four. Verse four doesn't exist. It goes verse three, verse five, where's verse four? So I picked up another Bible. I was like, maybe it's this one, maybe there's something wrong with this one. So I went from my ESV to the NIV and I was like, verse four is missing in my Bible anyway. Is it missing in your Bible? Have a look. Is it there? Go straight from verse three to verse five. Now this is because it makes more sense in a minute. Verse four has been removed because some people believe that it wasn't part of the original text, that it was actually added in later. So they don't think it's part of the original text that John wrote. Some versions of the Bible, like the King James Version, does include verse four. Um, and now in most Bibles, what you'll probably see is a little symbol that there is a footnote. Um, if you want to pop the next slide on. So in my Bible here, there's a little B to symbolize that there is a footnote. And now what I've done is added the footnote in so we can read it, including the footnote, just so it gives us a bit more of an understanding of what's happening here. So it says this, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And then some manuscripts include, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So then it carries on. So without that kind of little bit, you lose a bit of the context, don't you? You, can't, you don't really understand why these people are by the water, what they're waiting for. Um, so I thought it'd be good to include it, even though it's, it has been taken out, thinking it's not part of the original text. It's helpful for us because we don't have that context that maybe John had. John knew that that's why people gathered at the pool. We don't have that context because um, we weren't, there. <laughs> so we know that these people are there because they want to be healed, okay? And there is um, a belief, a miracle or a myth, we don't know which one it is, that if they, the first person to get into the waters after the waters are stirred up by an angel of the Lord will be healed. Now we don't know, like I said, we don't know if that is a miracle or a myth. Um, it could be, it could be true. I mean, this is God, isn't it? We believe God can do that, right? He can do anything. And there is actually some context in the Bible to say that this could happen. God does use unusual methods to heal people. In 2 Kings, he uses a fortified stew to heal people. Um, there's also um, a time when uh, uh, somebody goes into the River Jordan and they are healed in the River Jordan, also in 2 Kings. Um, in the New Testament, we hear that people are healed by the shadow of Paul and by touching the handkerchief of Peter. So, you know, maybe. 
maybe this is true. Maybe this is what happened. Maybe it was um, a myth. Maybe it was something that people believed and really wanted to be true. Because you can imagine, can't you, if you're ill, you're really clinging on to any hope of healing. They didn't have the same kind of medicine that we have nowadays, the same kind of care that we have nowadays. So it could have been a myth. And maybe this pool was fed by like a freshwater spring and occasionally it would bubble up and people thought that this is it. We need to get into the waters and be healed. We don't know. Miraculous or myth, we're not sure. But that's okay. We can keep going. So we're going to keep reading. Um, one, who was there had been, um, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? That's quite an interesting question. I think the first time I read it, I was like, duh. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. He's had to be carried here by somebody. He's lying on the floor in the heat, surrounded by loads of other people, waiting for the chance that possibly the water might be stirred up. And by some miracle, he might be the first person to get in there and then he might be healed. That's a lot of effort to go to if you don't want to be healed. So I was kind of like, well, it's a funny question. But, you know, it's Jesus. So there's probably a reason he's asked that question. And as I was thinking about it more, um, it kind of made me think, you know, it's actually a good question for all of us, isn't it? Um, this man, yes, he's been paralyzed for 38 years. How horrendous. On the flip side, he's been paralyzed for 38 years. You know, to, to not be paralyzed anymore would be a huge change in his life, right? He'd have to... Well, I mean, 38 years is a long time. He'd have to learn how to live again, really. He'd have to learn a skill to make a living. He wouldn't be able to beg anymore. He'd have to, I don't know, like, he'd have to learn how to do everything. And actually, that's, that's a little bit scary, isn't it? You know, sometimes you can say, no, I really, I really want this thing. I really want to know Jesus better. I really want to give my life to whatever Jesus has called me to do. And it's easy to say, but sometimes the thought of that new life and what that might look like is actually quite scary because it means change. It means that things won't stay the same. It means that there are going to be hard things that we're going to have to do, inconveniences, things we're going to have to put down. And so as I was reading this, I was kind of replacing the word healing with the things uh, in my life that I was thinking about. So do you really want to be freed from anxiety and negative thoughts? Do you really want to be inconvenienced on a daily basis to pray for people to see them come to me? Because, you know, we can say, yes, of course, that's what I want. But in reality, sometimes we feel like we're too busy. It's too scary. We're going to have to face too many battles to be able to do it. So it's a really interesting question. But what's also interesting is this man's answer. So in verse seven, he says this, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So he doesn't say, yes, yes, I want to be healed. In fact, actually, I think that sounds like the answer of somebody who's feeling a bit dejected. Like, what's the point? It's not gonna happen. I've been paralyzed for 38 years. There's no one here to help me into the water. And even if there was, someone else would get in before me anyway. And what's really, really hit me when I was reading this is that this man, and this is how I picture the scene, and I'm sure we all have our own ways of picturing it. 
He's lying on the floor and his face is turned to the water. Yes, I do want to be healed, but how? And what he doesn't realise is, Jesus, the Son of Man, is stood in front of him with power to heal and save because he's too busy looking at the water. He's put God in a box. This is where my healing will come from. It will come from God, but it'll be through the waters. He doesn't realise that God is right there. God is right there. He's too busy looking the wrong way to realise that his healing could come from a different source entirely. Again, I'm sure we can all relate to that. Searching for God and believing we're going to see him in a certain way and not realising the whole time we've been looking the wrong way. We've been looking the wrong way for him. And then Jesus says to him in verse 8, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. How amazing is that? This guy's just, he's been paralysed for 38 years. And Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. But what's also really interesting about this miraculous healing is that it's actually quite different to a lot of the other ones that we see in the Bible. So a lot of the time, Jesus will say, by your faith, you have been healed or by your faith, that person has been healed. As we've read, um, if you've read the rest of John 4, we hear about the official's son and Jesus says to the official, by your faith, your child is healed. But actually there's no real exchange here of Jesus saying who he is or um, you know, a, a discussion around faith and Jesus just heals him. He just heals him. And again, do you know what hit me? Is that this is in a place where there are a multitude, we know that means a hundred, hundreds, we don't know, of people who are all paralysed, blind, lame, ill, wanting to be healed, and none of them seemingly notice. The man who is carried in, stand up, pick up his mat, and leave. Now you would think that this would cause a riot. People would be clambering over themselves to get to this man to find their healing, but no one notices. Do you know why that is? They're all looking the wrong way. They're too busy watching the water, waiting for a bubble or a movement in the water to get in the water to be healed, that they don't notice that the Son of God is stood right there in their midst with all power to heal and save and restore. They're too busy looking the wrong way. I'm moving on. Now, this is where we kind of move into um, what I feel turns into sort of the opposition of Jesus um, that we see now from pretty much the rest of John, uh, where people start to be a bit ruffled by him. <laughs> Their feathers are ruffled by him. He's being a bit too out there. Um, he's healing. He's saving. He's claiming to be the son of God. And, and this is where we start to see some people questioning that. Mm, I'm not sure about that. And uh, the big thing that is being questioned as we move on now is that it says here in um, part B of verse 9, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. 
Now, the Sabbath is a holy day for Jews. It is from Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. And the idea is that this is a holy day set apart for God. You do not do anything. You do nothing. This is a day for God and it is to remind us that God alone is God and that we are human and frail and God rested on the seventh day. Therefore, how much more would we need to rest on the seventh day? And there were all sorts of laws around what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. There was hundreds of laws at this point. And actually, it was quite severe if you broke those laws. It could end in death. And uh, so Jesus has healed this man on the Sabbath. And this when we see a really interesting exchange. And so the Jews said to him, this is in verse 10, said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is the fellow who told you to pick up your mat? Who is the man that healed you? Surely that's the question you would ask, right? Who is this man that healed you? But they're so focused on this sin that they've seen committed, this um, breaking of the law of the Sabbath that they can't even, it's like they don't even register that he said, oh, the man who healed me told me to pick it up. They're just like, someone told you to pick up your mat on the Sabbath? You know, no one seems to be bothered. I mean, I can't, like, you feel what? Surely if I was there, (laughs) that's what you think, isn't it? Surely I would say, who is this man? Um, But again, these people, they're looking the wrong way. They're too focused on the laws of God and the following everything to the book and pointing out the sin in this other man that they hadn't even realised that he's just said, I've been healed. They're too focused. They're looking the wrong way. Got a very interesting story about the Sabbath. So um, my cousin, she lives in London. She used to live in Golders Green, which is quite a, um, an area where a lot of sort of Orthodox Jews live. And one, it must have been a Saturday, she was kind of just walking down the street. She'd been somewhere, and this man ran out of his house. He's like, "Excuse me, excuse me, our electricity's tripped. Can you help me?" And she was like, "I'm not an electrician." <laughs> and he said, oh, it's, "It's the Sabbath. I I can't." flick the switch to turn it back on on the fuse box it's it's unlawful I cannot do it please will you come in and do it and she was a bit like okay so she went up to the house anyway guess what the fuse box is in a cupboard under the stairs so she's like you want me to go in here okay she's thinking is this legit it was she flicked the switch it was all fine but it's just that story has always stuck with me that actually these people were willing to sit in the dark the cold you know because They could not, they believed they cannot flick that switch to turn their electrics back on. They had to ask somebody else to come in and do it. That is how strict people are around following the Sabbath, the day of rest. Verse 14, it says here, uh, well, in verse 13, the man says he doesn't know. I don't know who healed me. I didn't ask his name again, which is quite funny, isn't it? I've been paralysed for 38 years. I'm now healed, but I actually forgot to ask his name. He probably had a lot going on in his mind, to be fair. Um, Verse 14, it says, Later Jesus found him, so the man who'd been healed, at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now I'd quite quickly um, brush past 
that verse quite a few times of reading this. Um, And actually, it really hit me this week uh, just how loving that is, that Jesus came back to find this man. Yes, he'd taken care of this physical healing, but he wasn't willing to leave it there. He wanted this man to know that, you know, 38 years paralyzed is nothing compared to an eternity without God. Eternity without an acknowledgement and repentance of sins and turning towards God. He cares not just about this man's physical health, but he cares about his eternal life. He's given him a new life in many ways, hasn't he? This man now has a whole new life in front of him. But Jesus isn't just satisfied with that. He cares about this man's eternity. He cares about his eternal life. And he goes back to find him, to say to him, look, you're still well, aren't you? Well, please don't sin. Stop sinning and you will be well for eternity. And I just think that's so loving. That's so loving of our Jesus, isn't it? He wants, he, he, he cares about our physical health, but more than anything, he cares about our eternal life. Um, the rest of John 5 is just amazing. And I would love again, to take it verse by verse, but I'm not going to do that. There is so much in here that we can unpack. And there are a few things I'm just going to pull out. But if you haven't read it this week, I really would encourage you sit and read um, the next part of John 5. So it's got a, a title here that's Life Through the Sun and then Testimonies About Jesus. And it is basically Jesus giving this incredible monologue of who he is, but in particular, who he is in relation to God the Father. So God the Father and God the Son. And actually, that's quite a complicated thing to get our head around, isn't it? This is fully God, but fully man. And he's separate from God, but in the Trinity. And I feel like they're just reading that Um, however many times I have done the last couple of weeks, has really given me this greater understanding of that relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And like I say, there is so much that I could uh, pull out in there. But I do want to read um, the last section of John 5, verses 39 to 47 because I think they're just really powerful. So this is part of Jesus's sort of monologue as he's talking to these Jews who found him and they're questioning him. They're saying, who are you to heal on the Sabbath? Who are you to do anything on the Sabbath? This is the Lord's day. And he's saying to them, look, (laughs) you're looking the wrong way. You're looking to the law and the word and you're so engrossed in that that you can't even see me stood in front of you. I mean, it's, it's, actually a really moving exchange of Jesus just being like, come on, I'm here. Stop looking the wrong way. Just turn your gaze and you'll see me. So we'll pick it up in verse 39. It says this, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept human praise, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if others come in their own names, you will accept them. 
How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? You can almost hear the anguish in those words, can't you? You've studied the scriptures. You're waiting patiently for this saviour who's going to come and rescue you. You probably know most of these scriptures off by heart. And that's great. But you're missing what's in front of you. I'm right here. I am the answer to those prophecies. I am the saviour who has come to ransom you. I am here. And these people can't see it. They can't see who is stood in front of them. And it's easy, like I said earlier, to say, oh, well, I'd have worked it out. <laughs> I'd know that that was Jesus. And, you know, I'd, I'd have been like, oh, Jesus, it's you. You're here to save us. But we don't know, do we? And actually, all of us, at times, are these Jews. We can be too busy following the law or going through the motions, coming to church on a Sunday, being here, being here ahead of time, setting things up. And these things are great and they're brilliant. And it's fantastic that people want to serve, but it has to come with this understanding of who Jesus is. Because if we are just reading the scriptures, if we are just turning up on a Sunday, we will miss Jesus in the midst of everything that we do. We will miss what he has for us. We will miss him speaking to us. We will not see. We will be looking the wrong way. We can, I know that I can certainly relate to that. And I'm sure some of us would feel the same as well. They stand with Jesus, these Jews, claiming to love God and stand up for his laws yet they can't even see the God they have devoted their lives to study right in front of them. And it raises a question similar to one that Jesus asked the man at the pool that we talked about earlier. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to see me? Do you really want to follow me? Do you really want to know who I am? Do you really want life in all of its fullness? Because that's what he promises us. He promises us life in all of its fullness. Are you willing to stop looking the wrong way and to see me? I'm sure we can all think of a question that Jesus might have asked us if we were the person laying at the pool, if we think about our lives. Because we're all, in a way, sick and in need of a doctor, in need of Jesus, in different ways. What is it 
that Jesus would ask you. And I kind of hinted to this earlier, but for me it would be, do you want to be free from anxiety and negative thoughts? Do you really want that? And in my heart, I feel, yes, God, beyond anything, that is what I want. But actually, then he says to me, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And sometimes I can't quite do that because I know that as soon as I stand up, there's gonna be a, that's a battle in itself. That's a step of faith. That's a deciding that what's in my head is not true. That's a, that's a moment of faith, isn't it? And then I have to pick up, my, pick myself up and carry on walking. And that takes effort. And that means that I know I will face battles after making that decision. And so sometimes I think, I'd rather lie on the floor and look at the pool and hope that my healing comes that way because that's easier, that's easier. Or even just not realise that this is what God is offering me because I'm too focused on my healing coming in a different way, which for me preferably would look like I wake up one day and it never happens again. (laughs) But actually Jesus is saying, I've come to bring you life in all of its fullness. There is life through the sun, but it requires you to get up pick up your mat and to walk, to trust and have faith and believe that I am healing you day by day, moment by moment, you are being healed. You gotta stop looking the wrong way. You gotta start looking towards me. You got to take those steps. You've got to face those battles. You've got to know that you're not on your own in this. Just before the service started, I had to go to a friend, can you pray with me? I'm feeling a bit, you know, I'm feeling a bit, oh, this is a battle. But you've got to get up, pick up your mat and get on with it and walk. And as soon as I was prayed for, I felt the love and the peace of God wash over me and I was reminded I am not alone. God is with me. And so as we think, what question would God ask me? Would Jesus ask me, do you really want to be healed from that addiction? Do you really want to move past that pain and hurt that you're feeling so that you can have life in all of its fullness? Do you really want to trust me? Because I won't let you down. But you've got to say yes. And then you've got to pick up your mat. You've got to stand up, dust yourself off, and you've got to walk. It requires an action. It requires us to do something as well. I wrote down here, it's easier for me to look at the water and believe that my healing won't come because I'm too afraid of what it might actually mean. Just like this man, who now, after 38 years paralysed, has a whole new life in front of him that's going to have lots of battles and hardships. He's going to have to face new challenges every day. Just like that man. But he wasn't afraid. He listened. He stood up. He picked up his mat and he walked. So my encouragement today would be 
well, I guess my questions today would be, are you looking the wrong way? Have you put God in a box? Are you looking to the waters for your healing instead of to Jesus? And what question would Jesus ask you? Do you want to be? Do you want to? What would Jesus ask you? I'm just going to give us a moment to to individually just have a little think about that. And then what we'll do is we'll go into a final time of worship and I'll just kind of let that roll in. Um, And as we worship, just think about this Jesus, this Jesus that we're reading about, that we're uncovering week by week, his majesty, his beauty, his love, his power, his desire to give us a new and full life. Focus on him, meditate on him and his goodness. And as you sing praise and worship to God the Father and God the Son, would you just think about what you've learned this morning of who Jesus is in all his might, in all his wonder and in all his glory. That's all for now. We pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that God called you to be. God bless you.